0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. As I've been praying about and planning for this day, day that we would regather together as an assembly of believers, I've wondered what it would be like. Now, you understand the church never closed. You recognize that the body of Christ never died. And that although we were doing some things differently and although we were tasked with a responsibility of going into our world rather than being together, that's been always our assignment, has it not? And we have struggled to be the church of Jesus Christ, recognizing that this is what we have been called to do. But there's something about being together, isn't it? There's something about the excitement of, Being in God's house with God's people. There's something about the enthusiasm that we can share. What not it great just to lift our voices and focus on the wonder of our God? There's also some emotion involved. And I honestly didn't know what my emotion would be this morning. But it's so good to see you, folks. I've desperately missed you over the last seven But as we think about all that God has called us to do, we must recognize that there have been lessons that we have learned. God has taught us in some very significant ways. I would be remiss if I didn't thank those who have helped us get through the last seven months, our technology team, as we met many Saturday mornings and pre-taped the service And it was during those early days that I scripted everything, and we'd get about halfway through the message, and all of a sudden, I would would misspeak, and we'd start all over. I I think our max was five different takes. And then we went to CBC Live, mostly, and some of our technology team had to work through schedules, and we did some CBC Live on Saturday. It was live, but it... (laughs) Played live on, on Sunday. I, I'm so thankful for our technology team. I'm thankful for those who put up Facebook pages for our preschoolers and for our, for our younger children. Aren't you? Mm-hmm. For those who are involved in student ministry. I, I'm, I'm thankful for those who reached out to our community. Whether it was our community gardener. Some of you may, may not know that we did a taco distribution through this church just to show the love of Jesus to people. And we served 250 meals one afternoon. Our early learning center, early on in COVID, was designated as an essential place for essential workers' kids. And that meant we had a number of nurses' kids who were brought to the early learning center. We had a number of first responders' children who, who came under our ministry. And that gave us a great opportunity to, to make a difference in, in people's lives. And as I've, I've thought about all of that, one word has come to, to mind. Intentional. Say that word with me, will you please? Intentional. I say it with a little more in, enthusiasm, will you please? Here we go. Intentional. And God has taught us how to be intentional because we've not been able to do things same old, same old. We've had to get out of our habit patterns and be the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful. For the lessons that God has taught us. Last week, Pastor John took us through the first five verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4. And he reminded us that we are secure in Christ. Amen? Amen. Isn't it great to know that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus? And that includes COVID-19. Isn't it great to know that our God will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Isn't it great to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? Yeah. And isn't it great to know that nothing will pluck us out of our Father's hands? Amen. And Jesus said, my Father who, who gave to me is great in all. And I and my Father are one. Isn't that great? Amen. And then he challenged us. He challenged us saying that don't debate the insignificant things. Because if you debate them, you may disobey them. If it becomes debatable in your life, and he he quoted Bonhoeffer, right? You remember all of this. Don't debate it, because if you debate it, then you can disobey it. It's no longer truth. And so he, he took us through the first five verses here of 1 Timothy chapter 4. And at the end, he gave to us five reasons why Paul wrote this to Timothy. And I'm sure if I were to ask you to give those back to me, you could. But let me remind you. Reason number one he gave us was because the Spirit expressly told us this. That's in verse 1, right? He told us that the war that we fight is not of blood and flesh, but it's a spiritual battle. He reminded us of our responsibility to know and live out the truth. And then he told us about God's goodness in our lives. God is good. All time. And all the time. God is good. And the last reason that Pastor John gave us for Paul writing these first five verses to Timothy was to set Timothy up for what was coming. And so this morning we're going to begin with verse 6. And we are going to work our way down through verse 16, through the end of the chapter And it's important for us to recognize that Paul now tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to understand that you need to determine to be a diligent servant of God. Timothy, you need to be, not just do. Timothy, you have a responsibility to live out the truths of God's Word in your life. And that's what Paul is going to challenge us to this morning. I want to take the time to read the text. So I'm going to begin with verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. You follow along in your copy of the scriptures, will you please? As we see what Paul writes to to young Timothy. Verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things, Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul begins by saying, Timothy, be intentional. Recognizing that this should be your focus. Now, what are the things that Timothy needs to be intentional about? He needs to be intentional about good reminders. God gave me a good forgetter. How about you? Connie and I were having a conversation yesterday, and she said, Tom, I told you that two weeks ago. I'm thinking, babe, that was two weeks ago. God gave me a good forgetter. And you know, there are sometimes, frankly, that when I'm struggling with life, it's real easy to lose my focus and forget that God is faithful and is going to take care of it all. There are sometimes in my life when I get real selfish and I forget that I am under the authority of a Savior, not under my own will. And so, Paul says, Timothy, remind people. You know, we did that last Sunday when we celebrated the Lord's table. We did that, why? In remembrance of Him. We need to be reminded of this. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, put the believers in remembrance, because doctrine's important. Did you catch that in the text? The end of verse 6. Being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have... Doctrine is important. Truth is important. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And if we know the truth, we'll be set free by the truth. Doctrine matters. Truth matters. Word of God is profitable for doctrine, right? Right? And after doctrine, it's profitable for reproof, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Doctrine matters. Truth matters. The more I understand about, the, the, the more I know about COVID, the less I understand. Because it's all over the place, right? Masks, no masks. Stay home, go out. Live your lives, eh, not so much. But doctrine matters. Truth matters, and you and I are to be people of truth. And that's just a good reminder for all of us. Yep. Jude said that we are to earnestly contend for the truth that was once delivered under the saint. How well are you fighting for truth? It matters. And then Paul says to, to young Timothy, "Don't debate about the insignificant things. I love this. Don't you love sarcasm? Now, some people believe that sarcasm is a spiritual gift. I'm not sure I would go that far. But, but Paul talks about sarcasm here. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. <laughs> but what are those things? They're things that really don't matter, that we bring into our lives, that all of a sudden become our preferences And then they become our practices. And then we think they're truth, right? They're principles. Silly myths. If you check up Jewish laws in Wikipedia, now that's a real resource. You will find out that there are 611 Jewish laws that the people were supposed to live by. And some of them are frankly just silly. Silly. On Sunday, Jews could walk 25 steps, but they couldn't walk 26. That's silly. And how many times do you and I get caught up in silly, non essential, insignificant stuff? It happens all the time, right? Like, there is no legitimate preaching that takes place unless the guy's wearing a tie. but it used to be the way we believed right and I could go on and on with illustrations but I'm not so Paul says to Timothy Timothy remind the people of some very important things one doctrine matters and two don't get caught up in the silliness of preferences that are so insignificant that they don't amount to a hill of beans Be careful, Tim. Now, Paul is going to identify four quality traits. These are in your notes. That are necessary if Timothy is going to be all that God wants him to be. So, Timothy, there are some good reminders here. But here is what I want you to know. Because this is what identifies one as a servant of Christ. Are you ready? The end of verse 7. Rather, Timothy, train yourself for God. If we are going to be a servant of God, we have to be God. There is no excuse to be anything else. Now, Paul goes on to say, Timothy... Bodily exercise is good for a little bit. We ought to stay in shape. We ought to take care of our bodies, right? They're the temples of the Holy Spirit. We we ought to do what we can to preserve this body as much as possible. My mother tells me she doesn't eat a thing that doesn't have preservatives in it. Because she wants to be as well preserved as possible. (laughs) And at 94 it's working out pretty good for her. But the truth is, if we are going to be what God wants us to be, we have to be godly. Say, well, how do I do that? What can I apply to my life in order to make sure that I am a godly person? Well, let me just give you two qualities. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Will you please keep a a mark here in 1 Timothy chapter 4? We'll be back. 1 Timothy chapter 1. First thing, Timothy, you have to do is be obedient. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Conformed to the passions of your former Ignorance? when you didn't know any better. But as he who has called you is holy, so also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, "Be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy." Folks, if we're going to be godly, we must be obedient. Jesus said, "Abide in me, and I in you, and you bring forth fruit." Remember that? And he says, "If you abide in me, you will keep my commandments, you will be obedient." He said, "What you're my friends if, if you do what I command you. Obedience is the very best way to show that we believe, right? Doing exactly, exactly what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Enjoy you will receive. Why? Because obedience is the very, you cannot be godly without being obedient to God. That's truth number one. Truth number two is found in Hebrews chapter 12, and this is a familiar passage to you. Turn there, please. Hebrews chapter 12. There we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only do we need to be obedient, we need to be observant. Right? Looking unto Jesus, we'll talk about that in just a minute. And what do we need to observe? Let me suggest a couple of things for you. We need to observe others who have been successful. Say, I can't do that. Yes, you can. God has given us everything that we need for faith and godliness. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a whole chapter of people who have been successful. Read chapter 11. Did they struggle? Yeah. Did they fall short at times? Yes. But what kept their focus was their faith. And when you say you can't do it, find somebody who's doing it and follow them. I recently had a conversation with somebody who was struggling in their Christian life. And they were struggling because they were getting mixed messages. And I said to them, what is everybody that you would consider godly telling you? And they said this. And I said, then why are you listening to that? We need to be observant and we need to recognize that others are doing it. We can do it. God's called us to do it. We need to also recognize that there are some obstacles, folks. Lay aside every weight. Sin which so closely, so closely clings to us. There there are some things in the Christian life that shouldn't be there. And there are some things in our lives that could become obstacles, and we just got to be careful. My wife and I are trying to downsize. You know how hard that is after 47 years of marriage? It's brutal. So Connie goes online. She's looking for boxes, right? And you can find used boxes online. She found some. She went and picked them up. And she got them home and went to put one together and they were all liquor boxes. (laughs) Now, my idea was get a big black marker. (laughs) But Connie said, you know what, Tom? There are other boxes out there. Let's not let this be a weight to anybody. Let's put this aside. Now, that may be no big deal to you, okay? And that's all right. And it's a silly illustration. But it's the reality of life. And in my life, I need to stay away from that which even gives the appearance of evil. And if I do that, then I will be able to live out godliness in my life. I just can't do it. I just can't do it because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. And my whole purpose is to be a picture of Jesus Christ. There's some some stuff, guys. We need to recognize And then we need to keep focused on Jesus. That's the optic, isn't it? Verse 2 is an interesting verse to me. Looking unto Jesus, the Author and Finisher of our faith, I get that right. And then he takes us to an oxymoron, who, for the joy that was set before him, despised the cross, endured the shame, and then is set down at the right hand throne of God. You see, the book ends. Joy set before him, set down at the right hand, and between the two, there's all kinds of challenges. And I need to keep my eyes on Jesus because he is the one, number one, who is my example. It is by his life that I compare myself and value myself. And number two, he is the one who I want to please with my life. I recently told someone who was going through a tough time, and a difficult time it was. I said, what's your goal? He said, I don't know. Put my life back together. I said, wrong goal. Your goal has to be more like Jesus, and then your life will get put back together. Any other goal, you'll fail. Any other goal doesn't matter. Your goal is to be like Jesus. That's what godliness is all and did you note, verse 8, godliness is a value in every way, back to First Timothy chapter 4, sorry. Godliness is a value in every way because it holds promise not only for this life but for the life to come. See how valuable this is? That's, that's, that's godliness. This saying is trustworthy, verse 9, deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all. He died for everyone. And those who believe recognize that. So he says, especially those who believe. If we are to be what God wants us to be, we have to be God. We also have to be genuine. Verse 11 Command and teach these things, Timothy. Why? Why? Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Timothy, you have to be genuine. If it's not real to you, it won't work for anybody else. And there are are five categories here that Paul lays out. If you have a King James translation, the King James translation adds a sixth one. And that is spirit. And he starts with speech. And he says... Timothy, be an example in the way you talk, because that makes a difference in your life. Then, then he says, "Conduct, Timothy, be an example in the way you walk." You see, here's the truth: your talk talks, and your walk talks, but your your walk talks louder than your talk talks. If that was confusing, look up here and read it yourself. Timothy, be genuine in your talk, but be genuine in your walk. And Timothy, be genuine in your love, your love for man and your love for God. You can't love God and hate people. You can't love God and despise people. You can't love God and push back on people. Timothy, be an example in your love. And then the King James adds spirit. And I believe Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, be spiritually minded here. It's not a fleshly thing, it's a spiritual thing. Why? Because it's an illustration of godliness. And then he talks about faith and he talks about purity. (laughs) Timothy, how much faith do you have? You believe God can supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ. You believe you have that much faith? Do you, you trust God to get you through some tough times when you're struggling? Can you count on God, Timothy, and live a life that's pure? Timothy, to the best of your ability, be an example of purity. Be genuine. Now, we all struggle, right? Life is tough. And sometimes life throws you a curve. I can't hit a curveball very well. But I want to be as pure as possible before God. That was the first Peter passage we read. He's called us as holy, be holy. Timothy, be genuine, be real. The last part of our mission statement talks about being authentic and relevant <laughs> if you're not real. It won't matter to anybody else. It really Timothy, be re- And Timothy, use your gifts. Until I come, verse 13, devote yourself to public reading the Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have been given. And Timothy was given this gift publicly by prophecy and, and the elders. Now, now, Timothy was a gifted Vocational servant of God. He was a gifted pastor. And God had used him. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, Timothy, stir up the gifts. I like the King James translation. Fan the flame of your gift. Get it hot. Let people see it. Let people observe it. Let people be impacted by it. But Timothy, use your gifts. Last year in our ABFs, we spent a whole trimester talking about gifts. We looked into Romans chapter 12 and identified the gifts of the Spirit, right? We looked into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and identified how God has has gifted his body to do the work of the ministry. But here's the truth. 1 Peter 4. As each has received a gift. Now who's each? Each. That's you, that's me, that's the body of Christ. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Timothy, if you're going to be the man of God, the servant of God, use your gifts. Why? Because that's what will last. That's what will remain. That's what will impact life. During COVID, Connie and I had the privilege of being with a dear couple that was struggling in their relationship. We went out and visited them. And, and I am not fluent in body language, but I do understand this. <laughs> and that's how we were greeted as we sat around the table. And we got to see God work. God went from this to this. Oh, man. And and I've talked with a couple since, and and it's the best that they've ever been together because God did the work. That's what gifts are all about, God doing the work. But he uses you and he uses me as his instruments to get the work done. I need to tell you that the first service this morning was a little rough. Part of it was I hadn't been able to preach live for seven months. I'd not been able to use my gift. Now, some of you may be seated there and saying, what you?" But I'd not been able to have this interaction with folks and share with people and, and be involved in lives and and, and to see expressions and, and interest and understanding. <laughs> you don't use your gift for a while. It gets rusty. Yeah. Folks, we need to use our gifts. Because that's what servants of Jesus Christ do. They use their gifts. And lastly, we need to stand guard. Look with me at verse 16. Paul writes to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. Stand guard, Timothy. On the teaching, persist in this. For by so doing, you will both save yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch, Timothy. Persist in this recognize that you've got to be careful because it'll go away so quick. In Connie and my married life, we've learned some things together. And one of the things that we have learned is it's a whole lot easier to make withdrawals in each other's lives than it is to make deposits. Try that with your bank account. A whole lot easier to get money out than it is to put money in We've also learned you can only spend it one time. When it's gone, it's gone. And so we have had to guard ourselves, frankly. We've had to be careful. And we've had to to recognize that there are just some things that we don't do because. Paul says, Timothy, watch out. Because your ministry can be over like this, you can blow it just like that, and it's gone. Timothy, your testimony can be over like this, and you can blow it, and it's gone. Timothy, watch out, because it's a whole lot easier to make a withdrawal than to deposit something. You spend years depositing into somebody's life and it can be gone in an instant. One unkind word. One prickly situation. Gone. You can spend years protecting yourself from addiction. like that if we are going to be servants of God we have to be on guard because there are just some things we don't do and can't do because it will ruin our testimony so folks the servant of God has to be godly needs to be genuine needs to to use their gifts and to be on guard and we need to be reminded of these things right These just good reminders. Because you see, we can lose so much. You're not godly, you lose your credibility. You know, in in many ways, unsaved people have higher standards for for God's people than God's people do. And you lose your credibility. If you're not godly, it's gone. What do you mean you're selling me this and yet you're doing that? You're not genuine, you lose your persuasion. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. And how are you going to persuade anybody? To be like Jesus. You lose your gifts. You lose your effectiveness. Now, you may be able to show up for a while, but pretty soon people are going to find out that it's not spirit and power. And it's only temporary. If you don't stand guard, you lose your influence. Oh. I have so looked forward to this day. When COVID first hit, I was praying that by the end of April, Right? That, that was the first date, right? End of April. We'd understand where we stood, and we'd all be back together, and it'd be just fun. And then we planned for July 5th. We even had a soft opening on June 28th. And we were ready to roll, and then... Pfft. And now, because of a Supreme Court decision... We're able to gather together. (laughs) Isn't it great? But through those seven months, we've learned a lot. We've learned to be the church, not just to do church. Because the church never closed and the church never died. And we are the people of God. But this is what we must. We must live out in our lives for the honor of God.